Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Howdy from, what do we got? Sunny Portland today for a change over the past few weeks, somewhat moderate. So yeah, it's nice. Sunny and cold. What's up with that? October? Cold? I don't get that. Yeah, it never happens. Anyway, so Steve and I are here together as a panelist episode, and we were going to talk about some of the interesting ways to write view applications that aren't necessarily what is normally done when you're looking to build something with Vue. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. I think in most cases, if you're looking to start a Vue application, you'll turn to the Vue CLI. More recently, you'd turn to something like Vite, maybe using a template like Vitas. You might look at Nux 2. Steve and I want to talk about some of the other options that we've found for building either applications or websites, depending on how you break that down, but still using Vue as your framework of choice when building those. And part of this is kicked off by... I recently rewrote my blog site, my personal homepage, from using Nux2 to Astro. And I don't know if you all have heard about Astro, but I had a blast just exploring it. Uh, did you hear about it before this, Steve? Yeah, I've heard it mentioned. I think Shop Talks talk about it, and I've heard it mentioned and seen it mentioned in other places. So the name's familiar. I mean, other than thinking about the dog from the Jetsons, um, <laughs> I will, uh, this is where I heard about it and I've looked at the docs, but, and I know it's, it seems to be in the, uh, the growing plethora of applications that are simple server-side rendering type of tools, but that's about all. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the main goal of Astro on their homepage, their, their tagline is build faster websites with less client side JavaScript. And that's part of what drew me to Astro from Nuxt. So I was looking at my personal site, which had been built static site with Nuxt, had a number of blog posts on it. I was doing some API calls to get like the, the podcast that I'd participated in, link out to my GitHub pinned repositories, things like that. Very basic site, just using a couple APIs. But the performance I was getting in Nuxt 2 specifically was pretty low. So my performance score on Lighthouse was 57. Best practices were at 93. And I don't know what the best practice was that I missed. But I had some low scores. And this was across the board on all of my Nuxt sites. And I love Nuxt. Uh, I think it's a great tool for building applications. It just wasn't serving my needs in this case. And I noticed it across the board. I have a number of Nuxt static sites, not just my personal one, that were having issues like this. So I decided I'm going to start migrating things off, trying one tool at a time. And for my personal site, I decided to use Astro. And one of the benefits that Astro claims is that they will send less JavaScript, which I would assume helps with performance. One of the cool things about Astro as well is... While it's focused on building static HTML and CSS assets to send to the client, it also allows bringing in any of the JavaScript frameworks that want to that you want to use in it. 
So by default, if you set up an Astro template, it's using Preact, but they also give support for React and Vue and Svelte, and they provide documentation on how to bring in other frameworks. So if you are a user of Mithril or Solid or Lit or whatever, you can just follow this documentation and build a renderer for your framework of choice and bring those components into Astro. And you can bring them in all at once. So if you wanted to bring in some React and some Vue, you could do that. It would render that as static HTML unless you told it to send it just to the client. And for my personal site, I was able to build mostly a static HTML site with just a little bit of view here and there. One key place is I have a toggle button for dark mode that because I'm a view developer, I wanted to build in view. I, I know I could do it in vanilla JavaScript, but I didn't want to. So I built a view component that was just to toggle dark mode or not. And within the Astro template, I was able to bring in that view component, didn't have to do anything special or complex, and I just stick it into my HTML template and label it as client. In this case, I did client colon only. The client syntax just tells Astro this is a client-side component as opposed to a server-side component or a static generation component, rather. So when my page loads, you then get that little piece of JavaScript. So it's only that little portion of the application that is being JavaScript rendered. Everything else is static HTML. And as one would expect when you're not shipping JavaScript to the client, performance scores went up for my personal site. Everything is a lot snappier, despite the fact that I no longer have the benefits of being a single page application on render. Navigating between pages still feels just as fast. And that's probably due to Netlify being amazing more than anything. But I, I was still able to use all of my JavaScript skill in building a static site. I was able to bring in view as I need it. And everything felt great to work with. Astro really pushes this concept of an islands architecture where you can have islands of reactivity on your site. So if you if you need to have an e-commerce site, you can bring in an island of interactivity for the shopping cart or for checking out or something like that. But everything else can be static. There's no reason not to. And for my personal site, everything is static except for toggling dark mode or not. So I, I had a good time uh, doing this migration and I really liked the benefits that I got out of it. So your next, if I remember correctly, your next two version of your site was also in Markdown, right? Yeah. yeah. So was it, a, uh, was it a pretty straightforward migration of the Markdown content from, from the next to the Astro? Yes. I had to change maybe one or two of my front matter tags. Just be, for the Astro site, I needed to add a layout front matter item so that it knew which Astro component to use to render. And I needed to change what the slug was labeled as because Astro was overwriting what I had set it to. But besides that, everything was just straightforward, just copy paste. So going back to what you were talking about, your islands of, of reactivity or activity or some sort of activity. So in the case of, for instance, your e-commerce site that you had mentioned where you want to do something since you don't have a backend, then basically your JavaScript is handling all your communication with your endpoint, right? And it's just communication between that front page JavaScript with your API and no backend involvement. Right. So the in that case, you'd have your, your view components or React, whatever. We're a few podcasts, it's view components. You could just have those pieces of interactivity on the site and then they would be communicating with your backend API. Right. Okay. So when... Interesting thing I've noticed when looking at some of the other tools that are out there that are sort of middle ground between your backend monolith, your front end only with Vue, and you see the stuff like Astro and AlpineJS is another one that, that this struck me about or struck me with, was how sometimes these tools will borrow from Vue. And granted, this is open source, so borrowing from other projects is, is a rule more than the exception. But for instance, if you look at the styling and CSS portion in the guide, it looks very similar to a Vue single file component. 
in that you have in, inside of your Astro components, which is, you know, file with a dot Astro, you know, view single pilot components have your three main sections. You got your template, your script, and your style where you can put, you know, if you're not using something like Tailwind, a utility class library, then you'd put your, you can put your styles and make them scoped to that particular component. And so Astro does something similar in that it has a style HTML tag that you can place inside the, the head, I, I believe it says the head section or within the HTML yeah, it's within your the HTML. Astro component, right? So it just, it, that struck me as, as something that I recognized, you know, when playing yeah. Astro, having this, this separate style section for your uh, HTML classes and that they can be scoped. Yeah, the, the syntax for building an Astro component felt like a nice combination between Vue and React and Markdown. So where in Vue, you would have a script block, a style block, and your template. In Astro, you have, I'm going to call it a front matter block. I don't know what they actually call it, but you're actually using the same syntax as you would for front matter in a markdown file. And that's where all of your, your static, or not your static, your, your JavaScript is put where you're doing your imports or you're bringing in data that's going to be rendered in the template. So all of your JavaScript appears in this front matter-like block that uses the, the three dashes top and bottom to delineate it. And then your style just appears in your style. And just like you can do with with Vue, you can set that to, well, in, in Vue's case, you set a style block to scoped. In Astro's case, you can set a style block to global. So it's the same concept, just, just coming at it from reverse sides. And then you can still set the language. So on the style block, I was able to set the language to post-CSS so that I could then have access to Tailwind at apply functions. Oh, or, right or bring in post-CSS nested and get the nested uh, CSS like I'm used to. So it felt very familiar as far as a React, or not a React, a uh, view perspective. On the React side, instead of using v4 or vif or anything like that in the template, you're using more JSX style, where you need to do regular JavaScript expressions like .map or using ternaries or something like that to render certain portions of your HTML. But again, once, once the template has been generated, no JavaScript is being sent unless you label something specifically as client. So all of that JSX-like logic is just happening on the server. Uh, in many ways, it felt like when I was first getting into PHP uh, back in whatever that was, bef- before frameworks were a thing, and I, w- I was just playing around with PHP to generate templates, it felt very, very similar to that, where I could just stick in loops, stick in some logic in the template. But once it rendered, it rendered, and nothing was happening anymore. So now... Obviously, when it comes to using view single file components, you know, like anything in computer land, it's there's a tool you have to handle converting it to a user friendly, human friendly reading format to something that the computer is going to understand. And so, you know, in view, when you have your single file components, you have to have a build process because it converts your view single file template to basically JSX, as I understand it. I've never really delved into the the process. JSX ish. It's not quite JSX. Similar. But the point is, Astro has this capability built in. So all you've got to do is plug in your view single file component in the appropriate structure, and it will handle the rest at build time. Is that correct? Basically, yes. There is an Astro config file at the root of your your repository. And in that file, you can determine which frameworks you want supported. So again, by default, Uh, it supports Preact. So it brings in the Preact renderer. If you want to bring in Vue, you bring in the Vue renderer. If you want Svelte, you bring in the Svelte renderer. Again, there's also no reason you can't do all three or four or however many frameworks you want. Why you would want to is a different question, but you can. (laughs) 
So with great power comes great responsibility. Don't add too much JavaScript, but you have that flexibility to choose whatever framework you want. Right. Uh, and if you, if you want to write your own custom renderer, you can do that as well. So if you're making your own custom framework or your framework of choice isn't supported by the uh, by the built-in renderers that exist, you can write your own pretty easily. I don't understand that. I mean, people don't write new frameworks or renders very often, do they, in JavaScript land? No, never. By the way, I'm making a new framework. There we go. Sorry, a little delay there. So, oh, real quick before we get off of Astro, I was mentioning earlier about how you see different view type structures in in other structures. And I remember when I was looking at Alpine.js, I was looking at the docs going, oh my gosh, this looks like Vue. Because, you know, he uses, I think it's X. So where Vue has VF, V4, he has XIF, X4 that kind of stuff. So it's the same type of structure. So again, just pointing out how you see view bleed out into other things. And in programming, you'll always see things borrowed from from one framework to another if it works. I mean, that's how view came about, basically. So Right, yeah. So it makes perfect sense. So, okay, so we're next going to talk about inertia, I believe. So inertia is more my thing uh, than Lindsay's. I've been a big fan of it since I first got to interview Jonathan Reinick on the JavaScript Jabber podcast about a year ago. And and for those who listen to that podcast, we'll be having him on here in the next three weeks, two, three weeks to talk about updates to inertia. But the thing that I like about inertia is that it's you're creating a monolith of your pieces. So real quick web history, think back to when I first got into LAMP stack stuff around 2000, learning HTML and CSS from HTML goodies, uh, you saw WordPress and Joomla and Drupal. And I think Mambo was what Joomla forked off, if I remember correctly, where it's LAMP stack, PHP, MySQL, Apache, and Linux. And your whole website was in that one data structure. And for those of you who can't see, I'm using my hands to demonstrate one data structure. So just imagine that. Anyway, imagine uh, a very large box in between <laughs> Steve's hands right now. Right there. And it keeps changing sizes as I move my hands. Anyway, so you, you had your back end, your front end, you sent it to PHP template templates, uh, you know, with PHP. And, and you know, there was always the attempt to separate the presentation from the logic in the template. So you weren't iterating over, you know, writing PHP ad nauseum in templates and generating static HTML. And then you started going get around 2013, 14, 15, I would guess, when Node came out, when Ryan Dahl first came out with Node, then you started seeing the mean stack. So Mongo, Express, Node, and Angular, uh, with Angular being the first of the the more well-known JavaScript frameworks. And so with that, that was another type of monolith. And well, then you started being able to fill in pieces so you could plug in Mongo and Express with Vue or React and Node. And so pretty soon it was like, great, just take all these pieces and plug them together. Well, that involves a heck of a lot of work there trying to merge everything together. So now you sort of, huh? Sorry, just quick interruption. Would you say that those were mean times? Those were very mean times, yes. And I was heavily involved in those mean times. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Sorry for the delay there. I got to keep my finger on that button. Anyway, then you start seeing something like Inertia came out. And what's cool is that Inertia allows you to plug and play your different pieces but pick the pieces that you do and create a monolith. So it supports various uh, front ends, React, Angular, Vue. I don't know, can't remember if there's a Svelte plugin yet. And then you can, on your back ends, you can use Laravel and Ruby. And I don't know if, I don't think Node is officially supported, but Jonathan had told me that he knows of people that had gotten it uh, working. And yeah, there's so a, there's a ton of uh, community adapters on the back end. 
Right. I see one for Go. I see one for Node. I see one for Elixir Phoenix. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, uh, gaining in popularity. But the gist is that you you have your front end, you have your back end, and then there's a couple libraries, one for each side. So in my particular case, I use I have an app that I've been working on that uses Vue on the front end, Laravel on the back end. And so in Composer, you'll install Vue. I think it's uh, Inertia Laravel on the front end, Inertia Vue. And then you can, uh, then what it does is it uses headers uh, that are sent from the front side. Uh, it's an, an X inertia header so that when you make a request from your front side library using a specific inertia uh, generated function, it sees the header and says, oh, I don't want to reload the page, just send the data. And then that goes to your back end. Your ba- and you're using your backend to find routes. You're not using view router or, you know, say a Next where you're using your folder structure to generate your URLs. It's you define your routes with your backend. And then in your backend, you use, you say in a Laravel, for instance, in a controller, you generate the content that you want to return. Or you could do it in a Laravel route as well, just as easily. Just standard Laravel, same way you would call a, a blade template. And you say inertia render. Here's an array of my different values that I'm passing back. And then it gets passed. It lo- And you tell it what your view template is. So then it calls that template and passes your data in as props. And then you can do whatever you need to it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really nice in that you can pick and choose. You're not doing page reloads. You can even do uh, calls to backends, API endpoints or routes without doing any type of page reloads. The way you would call an API call from with a, a view component any other way or as you normally would. So it's great because you can just update specific page, uh, parts of your page while calling a backend without doing a full page reload. And then you build in the familiarity that you have with your backend in terms of defining your routes and your controllers and interacting with your database and all that functionality. And so it just makes for more flexibility with the JavaScript that you're used to on the front end without the full page reload and still having that JavaScript style interactivity on the site. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call. And it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then We'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. 
And I'm really looking forward to helping people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So when you're building out the, the front end, are you thinking of building it in terms of these are separate pages like you would in a traditional monolith where you, where you have different pages like blade templates or something where data comes in and everything is a separate page? Or are you thinking of it in terms of an API where I'm going to request from inertia some data and then it comes back to me? Or is it both? No, you, you can do both. You can, you define your routes in your backend. So in Laravel, you'd have your web PHP or API HP and you, you know, get to route, get and post, delete, patch type, you know, all your HTML verbs. You define standard Laravel. There's nothing, nothing really new there. Now, if you want, if you can also have freestanding view components, uh, views, you know, pages that do not, are not tied to a Laravel route in terms of having to go there. So for instance, let me give you an example. In this application that I've been working on, I have this, it's a shift scheduling application and it uses a calendar. And so I found after hunting through every calendar component you can imagine of you, trust me, I've seen them all. <laughs> I wanted one where I could modify the contents of the day cell and customize the credit out of it because there's certain things I want to do. I don't want it to show the date or an appointment or something like that. There's certain things I want to do. I found a really awesome CSS tricks post. And I think they also linked to it on Medium from a little while ago. And I can put the link in the show notes that shows how to build a simple month calendar in view using Tailwind and Grid and view components. And it has about four or five stack components for a page selector and the page header, and then for each cell and each month and really slick. And it's really easy. And so when the calendar first comes up, that is tied to a, I have it tied to a backend component called uh, or a, a route, you know, slash calendar. And what it does is it pulls up the content for whatever the current day is. I'm using day, uh, DayJS for JavaScript and then, you know, Carbon on the back end. And so it loads whatever the content is for that current month based on what, you know, what month you're in. Then it has a page switcher application uh, component at the top, you know, it's just a couple arrows. And there's also a button for today to go right to the day. And so when you click on the arrows, it changes the component to the next month as you normally would. And then I make a call to inertia visit that hits my calendar endpoint, gets the data, it passes in a couple months that are passed in from the component, gets the new data, passes that back to my component of props, and I haven't done a full page reload. Hmm. And so that way I can switch back and forth between the pages without doing a full page reload and reloading the content without doing a full page reload. And because you're using inertia for that, you don't have to worry about the normal things you'd have to think about with an API, like uh, passing a cookie or passing a JWT or something like that, worrying about the actual API routes, because inertia knows what your backend structure looks like, and it knows what your front end structure looks like. So it's able to just pass the data around. Well, so what much, I use that, somewhat transparently, right? Right. Well, Laravel has a distro built called Jetstream mm. that incorporates inertia already with Vue. And there's a repo that you can clone. And I have to go back and find it again. But what made it so super easy that I loved 
is that I basically just cloned this and ran this. And you can see it. They have in GitHub, they have a, an app called Ping CRM that's written with all the different various combinations of front ends and back ends. And there's one with Vue and Laravel that you can install and just install and play with. And you can see how it all works and play with it and tweak it. But I installed this repo that has Jetstream installed. So it has a login page. It has login and user functionality built in already for me, authentication. So I can already have this login stuff built out of the box and I don't have to build that using JWTs or worrying about the cookies or all the stuff that goes into manually setting up a user authentication and authorization system. So it's already there. Then I can just plug in and start actually building my functionality using that. And then of course it's, you can tweak it as you want. Like I've added a couple of columns to a user's table, for instance, which is default, but you can add it, rerun your migration and then build in your own role functionality if you want to. And Laravel has, you know, other tools, other libraries that you can plug in for some more, but it's just all there right out of the box. So, so yeah, it makes it super easy to get a base installed app up and running. And, and then you just work on building your app itself without having to worry about that base uh, user authentication functionality. That sounds so nice to work with. I, I know it's, it's, I, I recognize that there is a trend of everyone looking at things saying, ah, we've made it too complicated. Let's move back to the model if there was nothing wrong with it in the first place. But I feel like something like this is so nice where you can just have that integration with the the tools we now have on the front end. Mm-hmm. The advances that have happened on the back end with th- things like Laravel, where all of this functionality just comes out of the box, but you're not really tied to a specific way of thinking. Like I, I This is where I started to get out of my depth, but something like WordPress or Drupal, I feel like you're more tied into a specific line of thinking, a specific way of doing things, but with Laravel being a framework as opposed to uh, an entire application itself, you're able to do things more the way you want, but it gives you all of the tools to to do it right out of the box. Does that sound yeah. accurate to you? Yeah, yeah. A lot of that stuff's involved. And, and just being a view podcast, the nicest part is that you just plug in view and you're off and running it's got everything installed there. And, and one of the things I want to do is it comes with Webpack. And so I want to start playing with Vite and that step in there, see how easy or, or difficult it is. But yeah, it's it allows you to use whatever front end, the front end framework that you want and not have to go learn something new. You know, unless of course you don't know a backend and you need to learn the backend, but from a view standpoint, it's already there and, and functions just like any view component would. I think that's another trend the, of these tools that we're seeing where all of the front end frameworks exist the backends exist and you can just mix and match them a lot more easily. So like with inertia, like you were saying, you can change the backend, you can use Laravel or Rails or any of the community adapters. On the front end, you can use React or Vue or something. If you if you want to use headless CMS, you can just use any of those too, because all of these systems work that way. I just really enjoy this. Each piece of the architecture can be fairly well integrated with any other piece and it doesn't take as much work as it might have in the past both in the static site side as well as building a full monolith application yeah the plug and plays is very nice well one of the other things i'll mention this real quick too is you know i I was talking about how when you call a route you know you have to say okay load this particular component here's the data coming from the back end whatever it is and then pass that component you also have some more global type of capabilities so there's shared data so that if you have something that you want to be loaded on every page say for instance your logged in user okay here's the information for whoever my logged in user so then on my component i compare some data i got for somebody to make sure that's against the logged in user they have a at least in laravel i think rails is it's 
Yes, basically some what's called inertia request or some sharing functionality. So it's called on their server side and it gets called on every page. So if there's something you want to load on every page, then you can do that. Now, obviously, there's you don't want to go crazy with that because if you're loading a whole ton of data on every page, that's going to slow you way down. All the data. But yeah, I want my entire database loaded so it's available for me. No. So you can do that. You can pick and choose what you want to load. And then you can also use Vuex. For uh, so in my particular case, I needed to use that instead of the shared data because within the root calendar component, there's a whole chain, whole hierarchy of imported components. So you have your calendar home and then in there you got your calendar month, within month, you've got your day and so on and hierarchy and they're imported within view, not you know, as part of Laravel routes. And so the only, the data gets shared from inertia at the route level. So in this case, it's only that parent. And so if I want to get it down to, you know, four levels down, then I either one have to do it with props, which gets pain in the rear, but two, I just use Vuex. So mm. whenever that particular page is loaded, I just have a, a map action that, you know, gets some real specific information and that throws it in Vuex, import it into wherever component I need as a map getter and, and I'm off and running. So, so basically on that page, I have two API calls, my Laravel route, and then this one level Vuex call. Nice. On the note of routing, do you f- when you're using Inertia, do you get the same feeling of being an SPA where you're changing pages and it's near instantaneous? Or are you doing a full page refresh still because you're going to the back end and it's returning a new template? No, that's the whole point of inertia is that it uses those headers to avoid the full page reload. Okay. So so if I'm in my component, say I have, you know, I've got a nav bar component, right? And I want to navigate from one of my top level pages, uh, you know, locations, URLs to another. I click on that. And it sees it sends out header. It uses that in X, X inertia header. It says, okay, don't want to do a page reload. Pass call my backend component, but don't reload the whole page in the browser. It stop. It's like a, a prevent type of, of mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So your component runs, it says, okay, load this view component, passes in it props. And so it changes on the front end, but it hasn't sent the full gotten generated the full page from your back end. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I would need to play more with this. This looks really cool. Yeah, and I know that right now in beta, at least from the last email I've seen, uh, they have a server-side rendering functionality that they're working on as well. I'm not sure how that's going to fit in, but that is being worked on. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to look at. I guess I'm going to have to listen to JavaScript Jabber in the next few weeks. There you go. Yeah, the, I can put I can put the, uh, we put in the show notes the first episode we did with Jonathan last year, and then here in the next couple of months that the next one will be out with him. And an interesting side note, he's working for Adam Wathen now. Tailwind Labs. Oh, interesting. So, uh, so yeah, then I know those guys have a lot going on. Cool. Well, I think that covers inertia, unless somebody wants the full story, in which case jump over to JavaScript Jabber, right? Exactly. Cool. Is there anything else that we wanted to cover today? One is some of the next three, the next beta. Oh, yeah. I guess that's important. We should talk about that. Um, so for those who are not aware, this episode is coming out a bit later. Nux3's public beta has officially released. The the release date was October 12th, so you can jump on Nux3 as soon as you are ready. It is there for you to download. One of the things to keep in mind, though, and this is something that's blocking me, is that um, there's some compatibility issues between uh, certain plugins and modules uh, between Nux2 and Nux3 that you, you wouldn't be able to use certain features. So, for example, for me, I cannot 
do the migration because I'm very reliant on Nuxt content. Uh, all of my sites are using static, static uh, Markdown files rather than using a headless CMS. So I cannot make the migration to Nuxt 3 yet because the Nuxt content module only supports Vue 2. And it looks like they've got some comparison features that are and are not supported yet. Let's see. So things are stable or unstable. Yeah. So th- there's a basic chart. If you go to v3.nuxjs.org slash getting started slash introduction, we'll link to it in the show notes. At the bottom of the page, there's a comparison of what things are and are not compatible yet. So it looks like some things like the Vite integration are still experimental. There is a new Nux CLI, which obviously does not work with v- Nux 2. It only works with Nux 3. Static site work is still in progress. Nux 3 is, of course, unstable still, so don't plan to use it in production anytime soon. It is a public beta. But yeah, if you have a project that's ready to move, check it out. They have a bridge thing similar to what Vue did with 3.1. They had a migration build that was compatible between Vue 2 and Vue 3. Nuxt is doing something similar with Nuxt Bridge. They self-describe it as a forward compatibility layer that allows you to experience many of of the new Nuxt 3 features by simply installing and enabling a Nuxt module. So yeah, yeah, that, those are the tools that you can use for working on a migration, if I remember right. From what I've, I've seen where you can install that and give you your warnings that said, hey, if you want to convert to three, you got to fix this. Yep. Yeah, that looks like exactly what it is. Uh, and then they give you some basics like avoid common JS because we're, they're focusing on ES modules. Update your Nuxt config to work in a certain way. Basic things like that. Yeah, Nuxt 3 looks really cool. I just, because all of my sites are so tied to the, the Nuxt 2 module system, I can't migrate yet. Dude, are they are they giving a timeline on when the content functionality will be migrated? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I'm I'm looking through right now. So if you're doing a full migration from next two to next three, you're going to need to change things like your layouts, error pages, pages in general, plugins. It says yes, but compatible by default. Not sure what that means and how the store works. So there's a lot of changes that you're going to need to make migrating from next two to next three. It's not it's not a clean cut where everything just works, which is fine. I think Next continuing to evolve and change is something that is good for the ecosystem. I don't think we want to be stuck in the in the ways that things were done for Vue 2 specifically. Yeah, it's one of those things that I haven't had a chance to play with either being at work, being stuck in a very large app in Vue 2, where a conversion is not an easy thing. So I know there's been a lot of people chomping at the bit for this Next 3 beta and very many happy people that it's out. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm particularly excited about how um, Nitro, their rendering engine uh, for Next Three, is compatible with both Node and Dino at the same time. So if you want to deploy a Next application with Dino somewhere, you have the capability of doing that now. Whereas with Next Two, you are very much tied to Node, like most JavaScript tools. So I I feel like that's a good step forward. I really hope that Dino is able to take off more and more and more. More frameworks and more tooling is is built to support both Node and Dino in production. I wonder if they would ever consider, I have to dig into the docs, doing something sort of like inertia, although this would be overlap where you could use a non-Node type of backend, you know, to yeah, get someone more familiar, you know, Laravel, Ruby, yeah. you know, Java, heaven forbid. No, <laughs> don't support Java. Right. Sorry. But no. you get the idea. <laughs> no, yeah, where you could use Nuxt and still get server-side rendering. Uh, but using something that's a little more familiar. Uh, that would be interesting for sure. That would be interesting. If I remember right from our, our episode back in February with Daniel, 
there was talk of Nitro allowing you to write Netlify functions as well. So yeah, that does sound familiar. Even if you're not able to to use a full-on different language for a backend, you can at least deploy things as lambdas, and Nuxt would be able to render off of that, which, again, is really exciting territory. Yeah, anything that's going to give you some more flexibility, uh, I think, is always a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, if you are interested in Nux, definitely recommend checking that out. I think some of the Nux Nation talks are coming out publicly now. Uh, so if you missed the conference, check out Nux's uh, Twitter account for... I know at least Sebastian's talk was in there uh, that they released publicly. So maybe some of the others will be as well. Check out their Twitter account or their YouTube page and see what's available. Cool. Anything else that you have, Steve, or should we start wrapping up? Yeah, we can start wrapping up. I can't think of anything new and exciting. Okay. Other than what I've already talked about. This, this feels strange for JavaScript that there's not more new and exciting happening all at once. Need, need more new. Well, it could be, and we're just not aware of it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. If you know something new and exciting, feel free to message us. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Cool. So at this point, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things we like with the community. They don't have to be programming related. Steve, would you like to go first? Certainly, I will go first. So first thing I'll start out with is a blog post that I came across uh, recently on Hacker News, and uh, it's sort of short, um, but to me, it it resonated when I first saw it. And it's called uh, Best Practices in Parentheses, Why I Hate Them uh, by a guy called named Charles Faval, F-E-V-A-L. And I'm sure I'm mutilating his last name. And anytime you're in, as, as especially as a new tool framework comes out, one of the comments you'll hear is, okay, is best practices will eventually start evolving. And the idea is that as people get to use it, it becomes more common knowledge. What is the quote unquote best way to do something? And as someone who's been around development for at least a, you know more than a couple decades, I can see the pros and cons of that type of, type of argument. But the point that he makes in the article, and he, he doesn't beat around the bush, he's, he says, I hate the expression best practice because it's so often used by someone to justify the application of a cargo quote without actually understanding why. And goes on to say that, the phrase could be replaced by tradition, pattern, or the way I've seen others do it, and not so much the best practice. So anyway, good post, short, but it, it makes some good points. And, and like I said, I tend to agree with it. And then uh, moving on to the high point of any podcast, at least any of my podcasts, uh, are the, the dad jokes. So I'll, I'll go with two of them today. First one, why did Dracula not want to attend the business meeting other than it being boring? Of course, he was afraid of the stakeholders. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And then second, you know, over the past few months, I don't know if it's stress or, or whatever. I've been having issues with sleeping. And, and so I'd found a way to take naps and I used to take naps on a bike until someone stole the tires because they really messed with my sleep cycle. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wonder how much money you could make on selling an actual sleep cycle. Bike while you sleep. <laughs> there you go. Burn calories go. while resting your the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that seems somewhat dangerous, but... Uh, yeah, I can't see that going well. 
I'll let somebody else uh, figure that out. Maybe you could do it so you're cycling in place while you sleep, but then you can't yeah, really so sleep. I, I was kind of imagining a Peloton where instead of you moving your legs to get it going, it's moving your legs and you're just right. sleeping on top of it. There you go. There it still doesn't sound with, safe. But. For people with restless leg syndrome in the night. There you go. We found <laughs> the solution. Uh, That's something my wife deals with it in, in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she'll be laying there in bed trying to watch TV and her legs are moving all over the place. So. Yeah. All right. I have two picks today. They are both tech-related. So the first is a service that I learned about recently called Railway. I haven't tried it out myself yet, but Railway is a hosting solution that... Ra- so it's trying to be Heroku, but better, which I think is a target of many services right now. One of the nice things about it is that it does have a free tier, unlike render.com, where it is free up to $5 of resources. So if you're using more than $5 worth of resources, then you would start paying or it would cut you off. I'm not sure exactly which. So the free tier offers 512 megabytes of RAM, one gigabyte of disk space, some basics like that. And they provide documentation on deploying from GitHub repos, just like you would expect from something that's trying to be like Heroku. Uh, Seems like a really interesting solution. I'm trying to find a new project to stick up there so that I can have some more experience with it. Uh, But I saw some good chat going on around it and it seemed like it was worth sharing. The second tool that I have is something called Fig, uh, fig fig.io. They describe as Fig adds VS Code-like autocomplete to your existing terminal. Um, so I'm using ZSH on my MacBook, and if I start typing in, for example, git, and then I do a space, it will start doing a dropdown, just like you would see in VS Code with autocomplete, of all of the different git commands. And if you start trying to reference a particular repository, it will, again, show you all of the autocompletes for the rep- the branches that are available for you. Uh, and that's just with git. It also works with other built-in commands. And I think there's a plugin uh, plugin system so that if you have a special command that's not by default supported, you can add autocomplete to it. So that is fig.io. Currently, they are in development. There is an early access request. Uh, I was able to get an early access, and it is so much fun to use. Makes the terminal just that much more pleasant. Uh, not that the terminal is is particularly foreign or anything. But it's just that much easier to use, uh, just like you get with VS Code autocompletes. So definitely recommend checking that out, fig.io. Makes me think of the box of fig newtons that I just had here sitting in my desk that I just finished off. Well, there you go. It's just as helpful as a box of fig newtons in your desk. You know, actually, I have, you know, I've eaten fig newtons for years. I got hooked on it when I was little by my great grandfather because he always brought up a box of them whenever he came to visit. But recently, I just had a fig. For the first time, just a fig, not dried and put in a fig, just a fig. It was so good. You just peel it off and it's real soft on the inside. It was like, oh man, I could eat a ton of these things. They're so good. Anyway, I thought I'd share my- I think I've had a fig. I don't even remember. uh, Those are my recent culinary adventures, the extent of them at least. Well, very nice. Tells you how exciting my culinary life is. (laughs) Today, I ate a fig. Uh, I hope you all enjoy (laughs) hope you all enjoyed this episode today talking about different ways to build view applications you can find more from us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv you can also find us on twitter at viewsonview you can find myself on twitter at lindsay k wardell and steve on twitter at wonder 95 hope you enjoyed this episode we'll see you again next week adios bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.